Um, last April, I had an opportunity to go to, to Israel and Jordan, to the Holy Land. And, and to be honest, it wasn't one of my bucket list things to do. And uh, it was more that I kind of had that uh, FOMO feeling, that fear of missing out. My wife, it was on her, her bucket list, Terry, loved uh, the opportunity to go to the Holy Land. And so I didn't want to miss out on that. So if she was going to go, I said, I'm going to go. And uh, one of our good friends, a former pastor here at Christian Lehman Church, uh, Brian Oyoung, was organizing a, a small group to go out to the Holy Land. So it was something that I appreciated because I don't like large groups, large tour groups. And so we had only 18 people, so which is a really good size to go and, and travel with. And so in some sense, Brian, Pastor Brian, was essentially inviting me to go see Jesus. We were able to go where Jesus walked. And that's kind of a cool thing. Now, after having gone there, whenever I read the scripture, whenever I read the Bible, and these towns that names of cities pop up where they were totally foreign language to me before, now I know and have a very kind of familiarity as to where they're located and, and how they were connected to scripture. So this is something that I really almost had a transformational experience in the Holy Land. And if any of you have ever had an opportunity or will have an opportunity to go, I really encourage you to go, if you have a chance, to go visit the Holy Land. I brought some pictures uh, of our trip. Well, part of our trip, we went to the Sea of Galilee. And I have a picture of us on a boat floating on the Sea of Galilee. Now, it's kind of interesting. They do English translations call it a, a sea. Um, when we're over the, the Palestinian Christians say it's kind of odd how you English-speaking people call it a sea because it's actually a lake. So I don't know if I just threw a little ringer there that sometimes translations in English are not the same as its original intent. A little bit of uh, red herring there. So that's us, and we're ha- we were having a great time because we were actually singing praise songs on the Sea of Galilee as the sun was rising. So that was an amazing spiritual experience to be on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus took his disciples and actually taught all in that area. The next picture you'll see is a sign at, at the town of Capernaum. And it says, the town of Jesus. Now you all know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. But apparently... The people in Nazareth, his, his town folk, rejected him as the Messiah. He had to literally run out of, of Nazareth, and he went to Capernaum, which is, these towns are all around the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And at Capernaum, he made that his adopted hometown. And we actually went to visit there, because in the next picture, you'll see that. Now, you're wondering what that picture is. It's, on, it's actually um, a foundation that's underneath that structure, which is actually, I believe, a Catholic church. A lot of these, these uh, historical sites are bought up by different denominations, and apparently the Catholic church bought this one. Because this site in Capernaum is apparently where 
the, the uh, setting for the healing of the paralytic happened. The, those little uh, rocks and stones in a bomb was, is what's left, apparently, of Simon Peter's mother-in-law's home, where Jesus will often stay at Capernaum. And this is the place where that healing of the paralytic happened, which happens to be our text this morning. So I, I bring that just to show you that this is supposedly where it happened. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to follow along with me as I read from Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, speaking of Jesus being at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. And that is the word of the Lord. The book of Mark um, begins in chapter 1, verse 1, telling very plainly and clearly what the author, Mark, is going to be talking about in his gospel. It essentially starts off with these verses. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Essentially, Mark is saying Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Simple message, clearly stated in verse 1, chapter 1, and essentially the rest of the book of Mark is going to talk about who Jesus is and that he is the Son of God. And last week, Pastor Andrew told us that Jesus came with one simple message that he would over and over again emphasize. In chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, when he began his ministry in Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So I'd like you all to repeat those words. Kingdom of God. Repent. Believe. Those are very simple message. Those are things that Jesus emphasized over and over again. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that's what's going to happen here in the story of the healing of the paralytic. Jesus here reveals for the first time that he is the son of God. And from this story, I want to suggest three reasons why we should also then bring a friend to Jesus. 
Reason one is we all suffer some sort of paralysis that we can't always cure by ourselves. In verse 3, Jesus is brought a paralytic by four men. And we're not told why this man is paralyzed. Apparently, he can't walk. And he has to be literally carried by three men on essentially on his bed, which is essentially just a simple stretcher, to come to Jesus. In uh, biblical times, just an observation here, they didn't really have knowledge about the causes of why somebody is sick or ill. They generally just described them by their, their, their symptoms. So here they say he's a paralytic, that he's paralyzed. Or often they would say he's blind because he can't see, or he's deaf, he can't hear. That's different today. In our, in our experience, we usually give a diagnosis because we have modern medicine and we also have Google. So we can actually say that somebody is paralyzed because they suffered some sort of brain injury or had a spinal cord injury or, or they were infected by some sort of virus or, or bacteria like polio or meningitis. But back then, they weren't able to use that kind of clinical knowledge. They just recorded their symptoms, like seeing, saying they were paralyzed, they're blind, or they're deaf. Well, regardless how this man was paralyzed, this paralytic was a social stigma. Somebody who was shunned by the community. And, and this is because commonly back in biblical times, people thought that when you experienced bad fortune, it was because you must have apparently sinned against God. That God would be angry at you and he wouldn't be blessing you and actually you would receive some sort of curse that you would be blind, paralyzed, or deaf, or, or whatever ill fortune. And so people would avoid you, avoid this paralytic, because they would say, well, I don't want to be infected with whatever you have. Essentially, I don't want to get infected by so-called sin by association. So essentially, this paralytic was considered a social stigma. People would avoid him. They would walk away from him. They would not make eye contact. They wouldn't talk to him. So you can imagine the mindset of this paralytic, living day after day after day like this. Essentially, you can imagine his, his self-esteem would be very, very low. A total wreck. And, you know, he could imagine probably thinking it wasn't really worth living anymore. Now, I don't know if any of you can identify with that. I know there have been seasons in my life where I felt that. But here, this is a, something that this paralytic was experiencing. And being paralyzed, he was paralyzed, obviously, physically, but paralysis isn't just physical. It can be also emotional and mental, which can then trigger things in our life that give us stress, and that is triggered by things in life that gives us stress, things that uh, cause us worries, things like our finances, school, relational conflict, even illnesses 
And it's likely that as we encounter these things in our own lives, we also see this in the lives of other people in our circles of relationships. Um, recently, Terry, my wife, her, her cousins got together, and annually they do this to have a little get-together. And I saw this, where some of the cousins are experiencing certain forms of paralysis, literally physical and also some emotional. Uh, one cousin, I'll call him M, he, he's a dentist also, like myself. But in his mid-40s, unfortunately, he, he suffered a stroke. So essentially now he's paralyzed on the right side. So as a dentist, you really can't practice really well if your dominant hand is paralyzed. So obviously he's struggling career-wise. And when that happens, then your own self-esteem is, is, is damaged. It puts pressure on the finances. The marriage is tense. The children are not happy. He's not happy. And in many ways, his physical paralysis is causing him issues. There's another cousin who I call E. And we have some common interests. And so we always often strike up great conversations. And I like to bring it a little more closer to some spiritual issues. And, um, and he considers me kind of a safe person to talk to. Because often at family gatherings, right, a lot of times you don't want to talk to your own relatives. You talk to someone who's not a relative. So me being married in a family, I'm kind of a safe person. So he tells me things that he probably doesn't say to anyone else. And so he was sharing um, about how he's currently now single. He actually is divorced. And he's the only person who's divorced on both sides of his families. So he has this stigma, which in Asian families is pretty bad, that he's divorced. But I'm a safe person. So he shares, and I asked, you know, all these years, I, I've never asked about your circumstances of how this happened. And he begins to tell me that the two years after his divorce were the darkest years of his life. He's an extrovert. So he enjoys meeting people. He's carefree. He's a lot of fun. But he said those two years after his divorce, he was a basket case. He was essentially paralyzed socially. He would go to work with a happy face, smile, do everything. But for almost seven months, he didn't do anything which is actually really cool. His coworkers saw his, his, his he was in tech, his tech team, uh, the seven other guys, including his supervisor, covered for him. They did his work. He received a paycheck and did nothing for seven months. But the other guys had compassion and empathy for him. But for those, those two years, he said he, he was a basket case. And he would go to work and then go home and start crying. And he's a social butterfly. And his friends knew this was a problem. And, and he knew he was in trouble when he had a good friend who would come and knock on his door, knowing and yelling, I know you're in there because your car is here. But he would go crawl in the farthest corner of his apartment and sit there covering his ears and would weep. 
that's emotional paralysis. A lot of us know people like that. A lot of us maybe have been also been there. And this is why I believe that Jesus is the solution for this. That maybe you don't have a physical paralysis. Maybe you don't have an emotional or mental paralysis. But one thing we all have in common as human beings is the potential to have spiritual paralysis. According to God, we all have a spiritual problem. And if left untreated, will paralyze us. And that problem is sin. The Apostle Paul, in Romans 3, verse 22 to 24, writes this. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So all of us, being human, we have a common problem. Sin, which can be paralyzing, if not taken care of. But God gives us the solution, the cure. And it's Jesus Christ, his son, who redeems us through the blood on the cross. And this paralytic knew this for himself. And that he knew he could not get to Jesus by himself. He needed help. And four of his friends came to his his rescue and carried him on his bed to Jesus. And when the four friends encountered the crowd in Peter's uh, mother-in-law's home, which I showed you earlier, the picture of that, the remnants of that home, they were not going to let anything stop them. And this leads me to my second point. That first point is that we all have a common problem that we can't take care of on our own. We'll need someone else's help. My second point here is that We need to bring a friend to Jesus because friends go the extra mile if they really care. Those four friends who help carry this paralytic to Jesus is a model for us to care. No matter how hard, costly, embarrassing it would be for them, nothing would prevent them from bringing a friend to Jesus because that's what believers do. Believers know Jesus is worth it. From verse 4, when they could not get near him, him being Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now imagine back then, if you were there, and you were the homeowner, which apparently is Peter or Peter's mother-in-law, you're seeing a roof being taken apart, a hole, and, and, and all of a sudden, there's a guy on, on a stretcher or a mat being dropped through the roof right in front of Jesus. Now, one, if you're a homeowner, this is crazy because you're going to matter who's going to pay for this. <laughs> and and, and uh, this paralytic's friends, the four guys, I imagine they understood the cost of doing this, that they're at risk, that they're going to have to fix the roof or pay for the repairs. But they understood that, and that didn't stop them. And then also, imagine you're in that, that house, which is crowded with people, and they're all seeing this, and they're looking, wow, this is really ridiculous. I mean, this is almost embarrassing. What's happening here? But that didn't stop those four friends. They didn't care what people thought, that this was kind of crazy. But they knew that they needed to bring their friend to Jesus. 
because Jesus will be able to heal him of his paralysis. And for sure, their crazy act, this ridiculous act of cutting through the roof and dropping their friend in front of Jesus, Jesus definitely noticed them. It says in verse 5, Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. Now here's my question to you. Whose faith is, is the scripture talking about when it says their faith? Ever thought about that? Is it the four friends? Or is it the paralytic? Actually, it's both. A paralytic's friends brought him to Jesus for physical healing because they knew that Jesus was capable of doing that because they had faith that he was the son of God. The four men believed that Jesus had the power to heal physical ailments. And if Jesus is referring to the four friends' faith in verse 5 as the reason why he did the healing, then we can conclude that those four men believed that Jesus was God. But I want to make clear that the friends' faith, which explains the polarity of their faith, if their friends' faith, I want to make clear that the friends' faith is not going to save their friend it may allow them uh, allow his friend their friend to be uh, healed their faith can happen to have that because Jesus healed many people who didn't have faith because out of his goodness and his grace he will do that so the, their friend's faith could be the reason why Jesus healed their friend but it didn't lead to the next step where Jesus actually says, I forgive you of your sins. Someone else cannot do that for yourself. One must do that in their own personal way to repent, to receive forgiveness. So for Jesus to say, I forgive you of your sins, then he is showing us that this paralytic in some way had repented and Jesus then would grant him forgiveness. This is something each person must do for themselves. It's not grandfathered. It isn't passed from parent to child. It's something that each individual must do for themselves. And we know this in some ways because the paralytic wanted desperately more than healing. He wanted forgiveness. To be, give, to be forgiven of his sins. Because remember when I mentioned that he was considered a social stigma. His community was looking at him and said, you must have sinned against God to be like this. And so this paralytic, beyond being healed of his, his paralysis, wanted that forgiveness. Because he understood he, in his mind, among his peers and his community, it was emblazoned in his mind, that he must have sinned against God. So whatever the motivation, whatever the reason, the paralytic wanted forgiveness. And he knew forgiveness comes by repenting. And he must have repented because Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven. And Jesus, seeing this man's face, said to to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's, it's significant too, those words... Could you imagine the paralytic hearing those words? First, Jesus says, son. 
That is a term of endearment. Essentially, Jesus is speaking like a father. We just sang that song. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you are back into my family. You are my child. You are now a child of God. And so the paralytic must have just exploded with joy when he heard those words. Jesus looked into the paralytic's man's heart and saw that he had heard his message, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe in the gospel. We are told Jesus forgave his sins, so Jesus knows the paralytic had repented and now believed. And it's important to see here that Jesus chose to emphasize forgiving the paralytic's sins first versus healing him. Because you realize the four friends brought this man to Jesus because they knew and wanted him to be healed of his paralysis. But Jesus gave more than that. And he didn't say, your paralysis is healed first. He said, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus here is pointing out to us that our spiritual problems are more important than our physical or emotional or mental ones. And that is something I think oftentimes we forget. We worry about other things, but we don't focus on what is primary. Because spiritual healing ultimately has eternal benefits. Um, I grew up with a a close friend um, since middle school. Uh, We did everything together. Um, So since middle school, high school, college, um, we both became dentists. And we all got married in the same year. Unfortunately, at the age of 35, uh, he was diagnosed with colon cancer. And uh, a year after that, he passed away and and left behind a wife and and a a little daughter, same age as my son. So, uh, but during that that year, uh, when he was going through his chemo and surgeries, um, three of us, uh, three of my roommates, or two of my roommates and myself, we are all believers, and we wanted to make sure our friend knew Jesus before he passed away. So my, some of my friends flew up from L.A., we would go to the hospital, we'd go to his home, and we would just keep on asking him, do you want to know Jesus? And because we knew that, we didn't know if he was going to recover from his, 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 his cancer, which apparently he did not, but we were for darn sure knew that there was a spiritual issue that was more important. And so we shared the gospel to him, and he accepted Christ. And so to this day, we know he's in good hands and that he no longer suffers any, any pain. But for us, three friends, we knew this was more important than his cancer, that he would know a God that loved him, and that he would have an eternity to spend with him if he would accept him. That was what we found as 
uh, important, and that was an example of why it's important for all of us to bring a friend to Jesus. A third reason to bring a friend to Jesus is that Jesus can give us true freedom from things that hold us in bondage, that paralyze us physically, emotionally, mentally, and most importantly, spiritually. Stress, conflict, worries, troubles, hardships, suffering, grieving, pain, sorrow, sorrow, loss, addictions, you name it, Jesus can give us freedom from all these things that can paralyze us. And although impossible by others to do, Nothing is impossible with God. And Jesus, the Son of God, can free us from from our paralysis. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in John 8, verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Those of us who follow Jesus, we have freedom in Christ. So rejoice in that. Experience that. Jesus, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And as soon as Jesus says that, do you notice that the paralytic did not immediately just jump up? The scripture doesn't say that. It actually continues on to say in verse 6, Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So I want to focus on here a group of people that are in this room, this house where they're all gathered to hear Jesus' teaching. And these are the scribes. Other places in the Bible, they're described as teachers of the law. They're part of the Pharisees. Pharisees are the religious elite of the Jewish faith. And the scribes or the teachers of the law are actually the elite of the elite. When you're a teacher, especially in an illiterate community and society, Most of them can't read or write. They're dependent on others to help them with God's law, the commandments. So these folks were professional lawyers, essentially, religious lawyers, the scribes, the teachers of the law. And so they had a lot of power and authority within the community. And obviously, they thought they were hotshots. So here in this room or in this house where all of these people are gathered to hear Jesus teach, they're likely sitting right in front of Jesus. Because that's generally where the, the community, their society would put these people because they would honor them with the best seats in the house. And so here in this room where Jesus is teaching, Jesus is sensing that they are hard of heart. The scribes, the teachers of the law, were not happy with Jesus. He was kind of upsetting their, their system, their way of life, challenging them. And so they weren't happy. And actually, a lot of them were plotting how they were going to get rid of Jesus already. And here, the scripture is telling us that the scribes are ready to 
trick, trap, Jesus. And so they're thinking of these things in their minds. But obviously here, Jesus is all-knowing. And he already senses what they have in their hearts. And here, as I said, these are considered the elite of their society. And they're probably all sitting in front. But they, the irony here is, even though they have close proximity to Jesus, their hearts are the farthest away from him. And just in contrast, the four friends and the paralytic are so far away from Jesus, but they are actually willing to do what it takes to get as close to him. They are spiritually hungry. And they know that Jesus is the true son of God. And they would do anything, including bring a friend to Jesus. The scribes were thinking that Jesus had committed a no-no. And Jesus saw this in their hearts. The scribes were thinking that what Jesus said was blasphemous. Because immediately before verse 6, verse 5, Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. So the scribes are thinking, Nobody can do that. Only God can do that. And actually, the teachers of the law are right. Their theology is right on. That when we forgive each other, we forgive forgive, uh, trespasses between human beings. So we can forgive each other in conflicts or whatever. But sins against God, only God can forgive those kinds of sins. And so Jesus is saying here, son, your sins are forgiven because this is a context that apparently a lot of people are seeing that this paralytic must have sinned against God. And the scribes are saying, Jesus, you can't do that. Only God can do that. And so their theology was right on. But if you really think about it, but to prove that Jesus was wrong, to prove that a man's sins are forgiven, only God would know Ultimately, right? You can't really prove it as a human being. Only God would know if a man's sins, a man or woman's sins are are forgiven. And so the scribes here are accusing Jesus of doing something that would be pretty hard to prove. That essentially they're saying it's blasphemous because they're thinking you're not God. But if Jesus is God, then he has perfect right to do what he wants to do. And it would be really hard for the scribes to actually not prove that it did not happen. Kind of a little uh, tricky there to, to, to understand me if I kind of confuse you all. Because if Jesus is God, then he can forgive. So what he said is not blasphemous. But How do you prove that he did not do it, according to the scribes? Because they're accusing of something that would be considered blasphemous if Jesus is not God. So that's really hard. So Jesus is pointing out to them, what you're thinking is, is really difficult, really hard and challenging. But on the other hand, it's also, if you think about it, really hard to heal somebody of paralysis. So here, the, the, 
the scribes weren't even concerned about that. They're more cons- concerned about the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus says, you know, both of these things are hard. I don't know why you're upset with the forgiveness of sins, which in many ways is really hard to prove. But if I said, um, heal this man of his paralysis, that's a really hard thing to do. But it's actually easier to prove. Because if he's healed, he'll just get up and walk. But in the reality, that's a hard thing to do too. So both are hard. But so Jesus said to them, because he is really God, he can heal and he can also forgive sins. He has that authority. So Jesus said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Uh, I'm a graduate of Cal Berkeley, like a lot of you all too. And uh, our Golden Bears are doing pretty well in football this season. So that I think they're 4-0 now. And I... I didn't get a chance to watch the game yesterday, but I, I woke up, looked at the score, and I said, oh, wow, they won. So that's, that's a cool thing. And, and at, I looked at some highlights, and at the end of the game, which is traditional after all victories, right, they, 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 uh, the, the, the fans usually um, give this cow chant, right? And a lot of you are familiar with that chant. It goes like this. You know it. You know the story. You tell the whole wide world that this is bear territory. Now, I changed one word there because I have to be family friendly. But a little history or background to that chant. Uh, that, that, that was written back in 1982, which probably a lot of you weren't even born then. It was written by a defensive back on a Cal team. And he, and he was inspired to do this um, right before a game with UCLA and, uh, back in 1982. And, and this was about a month before the big game in 1982. And at that big game uh, in 1982, there's a, a miracle happened. And all over the world, especially people from Cal, we know it as the play. And so, obviously, this defensive back wrote this chant which was in some ways prophetic to what was going to happen. <laughs> a little bias there, but he, he wrote this chant to tell the story of the cow victory. Well, applying this back to our paralytic, the miracle of the paralytic being healed, that was being witnessed by so many people who were amazed and couldn't stop talking about what Jesus had done. In verse 12, it says, A paralytic rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. And just like that cow chant, I'm going to say, You know it. You know the story. You tell the whole wide world this is Jesus' territory. Remember, Jesus came with a very simple message. He said, The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus' territory, here and to the times to come. The healed, forgiven paralytic was a living, walking testimony 
of God's goodness. And, and, and I don't know if you ever thought about this when you read, read the scripture. So many of us have read this over and over again. Why do you think Jesus told the paralytic to pick up his mat and take it with him? Pick up his bed. I mean, it's kind of odd, right? A lot of times you would think, just get up and go. But he told the paralytic, pick up your mat, take it with you, and go home. Have you ever thought about that? I think the reason why is because that mat, that bed, will forever be part of that man's identity, whether literally or figuratively. This man is a recovered paralytic. You could be a recovered alcoholic. Just like I was talking to, to Terry's cousin who was divorced, he has come to a place where he's emotionally healthy enough to say, I'm a divorced man. Before, he, would, he couldn't even say those words. But that's emotional health. It's to recognize who you are and where you have been. So for Jesus to tell this man that you are to pick up your mat, you're healed, but forever you will be known as the man who was paralyzed. paralyzed. That's part of his identity. It was not just to shame him, but to tell the rest of the world that I was a paralytic, but now I am healed. He's a walking signpost to the power of God. So Jesus said, go into the world and tell other people what you experienced. And that mat, that bed, is part of his identity. We have many walking miracles in this church. Some of you know one of our young, who's a young adult now. And that's a miracle. Matthew Hittai. When he was a child, if you didn't know, he was diagnosed with a, with a brain tumor and was not to survive into his teens for sure. But he's now a young, full, young adult. He has a scar in the back of his head, which is his signpost. But literally, many of us prayed for him, and God is good. He's a walking miracle, just like that paralytic. And so I challenge all of you to, to be a friend, to invite a friend to come meet Jesus. Invite them to come to church, to your home group, to your social gatherings. Share the gospel, the good news, that Jesus can free them of the bondage that, that holds them, of that spiritual problem that can paralyze. We as Christ followers have freedom, freedom in Christ so go and bring a friend to Jesus who can help them too. My challenge for myself is I'm going to share the gospel with those two, two guys that are Terry's cousins. I know they're, they're close. They're, they're yearning for something better whether it's overcoming their physical paralysis or the shame of being a divorced man. That's my challenge, and I hope you would also take on that challenge and that God's glory may be revealed. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time where we can learn more about your amazing grace that forgives us 
of our sins that can paralyze. And just like that paralytic, we want more than just physical, emotional, or mental uh, healing. We really want spiritual healing because the spiritual healing brings eternal benefits. And just as you told that paralytic, which essentially is a prophetic uh, word of a future event, he told the paralytic to rise and go home. We all have that opportunity to experience resurrection power where we may rise and enter the kingdom of God and enter heaven one day. So I thank you in Jesus' name.